Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financia, host of the podcast, and the host of the Source Financia YouTube channel, of course, back with another one. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Aladdin. It's been a while. We've been trying to set this up for like three weeks, I think, like a month almost. Uh, we had two situations get canceled. But I've been looking forward to this. Like when you when you reached out, I was already very, very interested in what you do because it's something that I've always been curious about uh, how the, the industry works over there, whether it's the movie industry or document documentaries, news, things like that. And obviously, I'm also kind of involved in it in some way, shape, or form in, in media. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. When somebody asks you, when you meet them in a social setting, what do you do? How do you describe what you do? That's actually something I'm still working on. Like, what's my pitch when I start mm-hmm. someone, when I meet someone at a party? And most of the time, even some of my friends, they're like, what do you do, actually? So I think the way I would describe me is that I'm a, I'm a content producer. So basically, mm-hmm. you give me a budget, you give me a deadline, and I try to, to make it work. So that could be. And then among that, like uh, over the past year, because I started my company last year, and over the past year, I've done a lot of uh, jobs uh, in all shape or form. So I've done like a movie subtitle for uh, f- for movies. Uh, I've been like a story director for a documentary that was actually happening in EU. Uh, mm-hmm. I've done like uh, research for that same uh, documentary series. Like it was like a five part series about all the all the, the all the way like the town of Iwu is like a, you know uh, the the business model over there actually when i was doing my research like i was looking on youtube and i found one of your video when you were comparing Iwu and guangzhou <laughs> so thank you for that um think, oh, so, so you use some of the info from my uh, my video we didn't use it in the documentary itself but like no, i mean set- i mean it, it, it's cool that it was a reference for you yeah it's pretty cool yeah, I mean, like we're reaching out to a lot of people. I was watching, I was really fascinated to discover like all those uh, YouTube channels uh, that are focusing on all the markets and all the f- factory here in China. Actually, one of uh, one of our uh, character, like one of our, the people we're following, like Tony, he has like a, he has a channel on YouTube only focused on about toys and is uh-huh. uh, interesting guys uh, next to this I do a podcast uh, and right now I'm like uh, developing a, a, a series for a documentary so I as you can see like I do a lot of random stuff but at the end of the day like I would describe myself I'm just like a content producer like someone comes up to me and they say Aladdin we need your help as, as basically some kind of consultant so we need you to do this in order to make the content like can you do this in that amount of time or can you take care of the budget or can you look for stories? Just to clarify, you discovered us through through YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then also on top of that, so which form of media do you do the most work in? So basically for the people who wouldn't know, like documentary is not like the most, let's say, 
famous form of entertainment, uh, but that's, I think, one of the most stable. But so basically in documentaries, you have to form like you have like the TV world where basically like you have a, a TV channel and they have like a, a time slot. And every Friday at 8 p.m. they need their documentary about like nature. So that means mm -hmm. that if you can bring them like good quality content, they would be interested by it. Now, of course, as the world of TV is kind of disappearing and you have like all the online platform, whether it's Netflix, Hulu in the West, or uh, Yoku, Aichi in China, and I'm sure like I'm, I'm not aware of all the online platform in the world. But basically, like you have all those like one hour documentary that are often series, and those are like commission based. So you have like those platform and they try to they need to fill up their content. So that's kind of the stable area. And then you have another type of documentary, which is even more difficult, uh, which is like a feature documentary. So those are like documentary that go to the cinema. And those are like the really artistic, really creative and kind of a really gamble type of creativity because you will try to put this in the cinema, but then you don't know if this is going to work. So basically what I would do is that I would often work on TV documentary because it's more stable. And then sometime to time I would work on a feature documentary. So for example, recently I've worked as a producer on a documentary about a Chinese man who climbed Mount Everest. And uh, the kicker is that this guy is blind, actually, <laughs> but he managed to go all the way to the top of the mountain. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's really good. So I guess like, for example, there's um, Last Train Home. I'm sure you, you know that doc about... Uh, oh, yeah, well, actually, Last Train Home is the, 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 the director, is Fan Lee Sin, and that's the director that I'm working with about like the blind guy. So that's the same oh, director. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty fucking cool. That's one of my favorite documentaries, actually. So we have a Discord for Source Malaysia. We have a digital community, and we actually did a watch party where we watched Last Train Home. That was about three weeks ago, and I was just I watched it before. I watched it many, I think, twice when I was in China, because uh, when I started my company, I was trying to learn a little bit more about Chinese culture and, and some of the things that are around it. So. I decided to watch it again with with the Discord, and everybody loved the, the documentary. And I mean, it's just a very fascinating insight into a different world completely. So, I guess, can you maybe start from the beginning in the sense that, like, how did you end up in this position? So, first of all, uh, okay. So, my my life, my life work. Yep. Uh, quickly, I will try to be as brief as possible. So, back in, I'm from France. I'm from Paris. But I'm a nice guy. People have a really bad uh, <laughs> people from Paris have a bad reputation. But some of us are nice people. I'm from so, I'm from Canada, and we have a nice reputation. But I'm a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I was studying like Chinese history and film and TV. So those are like the two master that I was doing. Um, and so obviously, I ended up working in historical documentary for a few years in France. And then one day I came to China because we, we have like, everyone knows that we have film festival, you know, like Venice, Cannes, Beijing and so on, or Toronto. But then we have also like those, it's a little bit like the Guangzhou Fair for you guys, but for us it's more like we have market, which are really focused where producer and, and, and TV channel, they meet and they kind of strike deal. And those are like market, and those are like something that the public never knows about. And so in 2014, I went to Chengdu because there was like this uh, event called uh, some Asian side of the dock. So I went there and uh, I actually uh, finally seen the director of Last Train Home was kind of the main organizer over there. 
uh, because yeah, he's like basically like a factual content uh, royalty, uh, let's call him this way. And when I arrived in, in China, so I was really struck by, I, I guess that's like the typical story that everyone says, like the first time we arrived in China, oh my God, such high buildings, everything yeah. seems so big and so massive. Like I, I knew that China was not like, you know, the, the thing we could see on things from picture from the 80s. But I have to admit, like when I arrived in Chengdu and I thought I would arrive in some kind of not backwater town, but you see it in the middle of the country, you're like, what is this place? So I arrived here, I, I saw like how things were big and there were a lot of local content producer and there was kind of a moment, things have a little bit changed now, but that was a moment when everyone was like, let's go to China to make co-production and to make content together because China is like such a huge market. Now the time where the Chinese middle class is rising, they want more entertainment, they want more fun. So that's the moment when we can try to tap into this market. So. After Chengdu, I basically decided to leave everything behind. So I was working in France. I had a small company. I had uh, my own project, but I basically dropped everything. And I went to Nanjing, learned Chinese for a couple of years. Uh, then I went to work for a private company in China. Uh, I worked uh, then just as COVID was started, the company fired everyone because they could not, you know, keep everyone around. Uh, then I went to companies did, yeah, during that time yeah. period. Yeah, uh, I mean, there were, there were 50 of us and that was just like impossible to, you know, keep uh, everyone on the paycheck. So then I went to work at CGTN Francais, uh, where, you know, like a stable job. But within a year, I quit and I started my company that I'm running now, like if I want to make it quick and fast. I guess I'm curious about what got you into documentary making in general, like what inspired you when you were younger and, and things like that. That's a question that I often ask myself. I think what's nice in documentary is that often what I like about this is that you are often like a, in a sm much, much smaller scale. Like when we talk about movies, I mean, everyone who stick around the credit of movie, you can see like hundreds and hundreds of names. And so in order to have like a real decision making and be at the top, like you need years and years of, you know, of uh, hassling and doing your stuff. But whereas documentary, because it's smaller scale, smaller team, you have more creativity and you have more input. And anyone who works like, uh, I mean, for example, on Lee Sin last documentary, so I was working on the production side of it, but because I know how to do a bit of film editing, then I get the chance to, you know, do like a couple of scenes when you throw me footage and then I'm like trying to, trying my luck, trying things. And at the end, like one of the scene I edited ends up in the movie. And I think like if you work on TV series or fiction or animation, like none of this could be possible because those things are much bigger in scale. So everyone has their own spot and you tend to keep it that way. And, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I like it. Uh, and, and also on a more Freudian level, my dad is an actor. So maybe I don't want to well, work with actors. His name is Jean-Paul Faré. Um, yeah, he's, but he's mostly known in France for theater play, not so much like on movies. Just on a selfish level, I want to ask about, so I've been thinking about doing a documentary about my dad, which ironically, you, you mentioned your dad. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing a documentary about my dad. I have the story idea in my mind. I just like, can you kind of break down what, what is the importance the the 20% that brings you most of the results in creating a good documentary. 
I think it's really interesting what you mentioned, uh, because uh, just to give you a comparison, I was a couple of months ago, I was at the real last indie film festival in China, which mm-hmm. is called First, uh, First Film Festival. It's happening in Xining in the Qinghai province. Uh, it's it, it, it's really some, somewhere interesting because, you know, the further away you are from Beijing, the nicer stuff you can look at uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, local government doesn't care as much because they are happy because, you know, it brings like culture stuff. So and over there, like all the documentary that I saw, uh, and I think this is going to answer your question. There were, I think, five or six documentary. I think I've watched every single one of them. And but you would realize that every single time the documentary director would have like a direct link uh, to the subject. So, for example, mm-hmm. like there was a guy uh, was like trying to be uh, the, the movie is called Trashy Boy. Uh, it's a really interesting film. It's about like a guy who tries to be a rapper, but he's kind of this really wacky uh, dude from a really small city in China. And we used to be a drug traffic. He was doing a little bit of drug trafficking. So then he got arrested. But then he tries to be like a rapper. And so he tries to do like live stream show and he's like playing the guitar and then he does some rap. He's, and then he becomes like a small celebrity in the town. But the director is his like oldest best friend. Or then you have like a, another director, she's basically filming her parents in the remote town in Yunnan and basically they are like getting old, but the director filmed her parents. So I think for anyone who wants to make like a, an interesting factual content, the, the one thing you should get to do, is, the one thing you should do is to have access. As long as you have a good access, as long as you have a good topic and you have access to it, then all you have to do is have an okay shot and a good sound and the rest doesn't matter. Uh, I think that's like uh, the the okay. first thing. To, but, but then I don't know. Like uh, I, I would be interested. Like let's say typically, I'm a producer and you're a director, and you're like, I want to make a documentary about my dad. My first question would be like, why is your dad worth being, you know, shown on a on a movie screen for a one hour, one hour and a half? One hour, yeah. So basically, to keep the story brief, I was born in Zambia. Uh, my dad's obviously Zambian. Um, Southern Africa, and he, when he was, uh, he's the oldest in his family. When he was around 10 years old, his mom disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to her. There was accusations that his dad killed her. So that's that's the beginning of the thing. I think there's about eight kids. And then at that stage, when the mom disappeared, they all got separated and sent to different relatives to to live with them. And then he joined the military when he got older uh, to support like the rest of the kids to help them uh, go through school. And he was living in a, like before, before he was in the military, he was living in like a, a village in Africa, in Zambia. And then uh, he ended up becoming the CEO of like a multinational corporation and multi-billion dollar company and uh, a branch of that company in, in Zambia. And then he started his own businesses and things like that and put me through private school and supported, I would say, like maybe 100 people in his family that, that he educated and supported and all that stuff. And we traveled around the world and moved to the U.S., moved to Canada. Like, so I think there's a lot there's a lot of meat on that bone to, to discuss. Like, Because I, I think about it from the aspect of the chances of his success was so slim like it was almost zero percent chance that somebody in his position would end up where he be 
became, you know what I mean? Built multiple houses, like he's, he's done a lot. I think because this is like what we do typically. So mm -hmm. I work with uh, Fan Lee Sin, for example, I work part-time at, at his company. They're one of my regular clients and we're actually in, into their office. So, you know, you can take a quick peek. Um, <laughs> But, but, but joke aside, like what I realized that often we would receive pitches, you know, because uh, Lee Sin is like such a, a big name in documentary. So you would have always people sending him pitches, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, and uh, often people all, all the time, people in China because he lives in China. So we are kind of this pool where people send a lot of stories and like, hey, what do you think of that and stuff like this? I'm not going to share because we've got interesting stuff, but, you know, we can't put this out in the open as long as the contract mm -hmm. is not signed. But what I realize, um, I'm, especially in China, is that people are used to, they think, and this is why I think documentary has like such a bad reputation sometimes, is because people just describe what has happened before. But I think if you want to make a good show, a good documentary, what you need is that you need to have conflict and you need mm -hmm. to show that, okay, here is basically you would write like a, couple of page and the first paragraph is basically the intro of who is this character or the town mm -hmm. the situation it could be like a town a place a company whoever but then basically the first 15 20 percent should be like yes the background what has this person done but then the the real question is when you start filming what is what are the conflict what are the situation what are the thing mm -hmm. that this character wants to solve what are the the thing ahead and I realized that in China, like you would have people who basically they write two page, but then 90% is about what has the person has done before, mm -hmm. but none of the thing was on camera. So we don't care. Like, uh, you know, it's just like the intro that person has done this for the last 10, 15, 20 years. But if you don't have a lot of shots, then it, in terms of editing, then you just end up showing that in a couple of minutes because you don't have enough footage. So then, to move on like now my next question as the producer is like what for example what does your dad what's his uh upcoming problem or his upcoming project because from what i've seen like he's already over overcame everything now everything is cool so well i mean he, he does have some conflict now in the sense that like he's almost 70 and uh you know i feel like he just retired a few years ago and i feel like he's just trying to figure out after being at the top of the mountain, you know, Everest, right? Now he's blind. Like he doesn't really know what to do with his, his self right now. And then I mean, he's trying to develop a farm and, and this retirement life, I feel like he still wants to be busy, but he doesn't have the same level of energy and stuff like that. So, cause he's just, cause he's older. And of course the kids are not at home, you know what I mean? So everybody's moved on with their lives and, and things like that so maybe that's the conflict for my dad yeah right now. how to stay relevant oh my god that really touch home uh not i don't know if the audience care but my dad has basically the same issue uh, i hope he doesn't speak english so he's not gonna understand what i say but uh, <laughs> after being and he's on wikipedia he's done many shows he has like produced his own stuff but now i can feel that right now he also feels scared of staying relevant because now like yeah. most of his generation of like directors or um, metteur en scène i don't know what's the word in english but like people who are the directors but for play like his generation because he's also uh, like about uh, 20. playwrights or play uh, producers as well directors 
Yeah, but like his generation, everyone's retired or dead or senile. So now yeah. he doesn't have as much connection as he had like when he was 30, 40, 50, 60. And now you have new generation and he doesn't really care so much about social media. So he could not, you know, stay up in the mindset of people. So, yeah, I think I think well, the situation with your dad, like how to stay relevant when you still have all your mind, but maybe you're, you know, just, yeah, you're retired. I think I think that could be an interesting topic, like definitely. And I think especially as everywhere in the world, people, they keep aging and uh, the life expectancy keeps rising. But I guess, yeah, I think that, that yeah, definitely. Like that would be definitely a topic to, to keep digging. It's, it's interesting because like, I, I guess I could compare and contrast with myself, I just turned 30 this year. When I turned 30, I started thinking about like uh, death and mortality more than I ever did uh, before. And then I'm thinking about my dad and I'm like, okay, so like I'm on this upward uh, trajectory with my business, right? So I'm trying to get to the level and maybe past the level that my dad was at. I started okay. earlier than him in the sense of starting a company younger than him. Uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've been pretty good so far. And then I was just thinking about that as like, I kind of understand a little bit on some level, like well, what my dad is going through. Because, you know, you, when you're at the peak of your powers, let's say, and then you can't really, in the future, you can't really like influence the way you influence right now. So like for me, it's like I'm in a different stage, but I'm looking at my dad and I'm like, he's been where I've been before and now he can't do the same things and i wonder how that feels kind of thing you know i can't actually fully imagine it so i, I don't know that would be an interesting yeah you gave me like a really good idea of <laughs> how this documentary could could, could work out because before it was more just about like oh i want to document my dad's uh history and stuff like that and i think it would be interesting for a lot of people because I don't, I also, I haven't seen any documentaries like that in the sense of like uh, an African man, you know, who's come from this stage to this stage of his life. You see a lot of that stuff in, in Western media, right? Like the, the rise to success and all that stuff. But you don't really see that with, with, uh, with people in Africa. And to tie up for anyone in the audience, this is why if any of you has like some kind of creativity, passion, uh, if you want to write a book, then this is why you need an editor to kind of bounce back with you. Or if you're a director or a playwright, you need like a producer to kind of bounce back with you. Like any creativity, it's not just like a, being crazy in a room by yourself. Like you need to have a team to be with you and to kind of guide you in the way. Uh, because I think like no one is like smart enough to create a wonderful piece of art just by themselves. By themselves, yeah. So just out of curiosity, so this is what you do. So like, if I wanted to hire you or somebody who's watching this right now, listening to this, what's the process? How does that work? Um, that, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, most of the people like uh, re recently, for example, I was approached by a friend of mine, like she's an she's an architect. And she uh, wanted to she was asking me question about Okay, we're designing this new museum, because you know, in China, uh, recently, like in the 80s, there were only 30 museums, but as of today, there are over 5,000 museums in China. So, you know, like you just keep building and it's booming. And and basically, so she's right working on that museum and she's like, yeah, Aladdin, we need video because now it's not just, you know, you put like some, uh, it's not like 
local town museum when they just put a couple of pictures. This is like private company museum, so they want the best. They want like interactive video. They want to have like places where people can take selfies so that they can share it on social media. Like it's all, it's a whole experience. And she comes up to me and she's like, I need video. But then she was kind of uh, not knowing even the grammar of how to define this service. Like she's like, how how should I quantify the budget, you know, or it's like how many minutes, but it's like a minute of content can, you know, you just take your phone and, you know, like I just like uh, do this for one minute, it costs me $3. But then if you do an animation for one minute, then it could cost you like thousands and thousands of dollars. So I think the first question for anyone who wants, you know, to hire content producer for a video like the first question is what's your what's your idea what do you want to achieve and then the second thing is that if you want to make video it's because you certainly have seen a competitor doing video as well so then you're like oh i like what they've done with this product the way they present the product i want to do the same i also want my doyin channel uh, on my live stream or my bilibili account to you know talk about my product and then you would kind of think, okay, I want this the same way. So then that's when you contact your producer. And the first question is, the first question the producer will ask you is, okay, but do you have any example that you can show me? And from that example, I can basically give you a budget. And then you tell me if it's too high. Of course, it's always going to be too high for everyone. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think that would be a process. Like first, Find an example of uh, what kind of video you want to do and then try to see a budget and a timing with uh, someone who can help you to do that. It's really, really good advice. What were some of the earliest, I guess, struggles when you started working in China? The second question, how did you figure it out? What was my own struggle? What was the documentary I could have done about me? Um, (laughs) To be honest, I I was uh, a little bit too proud, I guess, because when I arrived in China, so first I was advised uh, by a dear friend of mine, Arthur Johns, uh, he's a documentary filmmaker. Yeah, fun fact, uh, next to the office, we have like a PLA small uh, office and sometimes like uh, three times a day, they would go out chanting uh, stuff. Uh, We're in in San Litwin in Beijing. I've I've, uh, I've definitely experienced that (laughs) in China. One of my five years living in China. So um, I I met Arthur and I was asking him like, okay, you've been in China for back then. He was like almost twenty years for him, and he's uh, done like a lot of uh, uh, ads and documentary and stuff like that. And I was asking him like, what's the first thing to do? And he's like, okay, first you should go to school and you should learn Chinese. Otherwise, like there is no way you're gonna survive. In an insight, if you have like a really specific technical ability, like uh, be a, a cameraman, like you can survive. But at the end of the day, it will be better to speak Chinese at some point. And I think it goes for every country where you want to go and live. So I go to I go to study Chinese for one year and a half. And then I was looking for a job. And I, I have to admit, I thought I would find a job really easily because I had works experience back in France. I've been a director, a producer. I've done my own project and I work for bigger companies. So I thought it's going to be not going to be easy, but this is not going to be hard. And it took me five months to find something. And I was really that close to give up. I thought like maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe I should just go home or maybe I would actually go to live in Shanghai for a couple of months and I will just like go to every single parties and try to, you know, slowly build up my connection. And I think that's the, so that was the problem. At the end, I found one job in this private company, the one that fired everyone when COVID started. 
So basically, I realized that my biggest hurdle was that when I wanted to, and then later on, it keep confirming because then I was trying to do side hustle because I have this stable job, and then I want to do my own small thing, you know, do a little bit of gigs there and there, like video, write articles, stuff like that. And I realized like the only way was basically to know people because at the end, like you, you have abilities and I know I have abilities, but then it's really soul crushing when no one calls you up and say, Aladdin, I need your help to do this. And the only way to get there is you just have to meet tons of people. So that kind of the word spreads out that, oh, this guy, he does this, he does that, he's an expert in this. Mm-hmm. And when my friend who is doing the museum asked me, can you help us to work on this? It basically took me three, four years, so that kind of the word spreads out. So now I'm really happy because I'm at this stage where now people comes to me. Doesn't always work, but now and I still have to, you know, uh, contact people and prepare budget and stuff like that. Uh, or you know, sometimes you have like random. I, I don't know in your industry if this is like this, but for us sometimes we have like random WeChat group request. You have like someone posting, oh, we need like a film editor right now, or we need a host, or we need whatever. And then those are like the most bizarre people you ever talk with, but sometimes it's super instructive. <laughs> so yeah, the fact that basically to recap, I I had abilities, but then to in order to find projects, then I just needed to know more people. And that was yeah. kind of my way out, is that just, you know, go out, meet people. At the same time, I think also we have to kind of know our limits. Like I would not want, now I realize like you can't be friends with everyone. Like, I'm not going to say a name, but I realized there was this Western guy who is a producer or claims to be. And at the beginning, I was trying to, you know, be super friendly with him because I thought we could help out each other. But I always had this kind of sense that he was kind of a weird guy. And as time goes by, I realized that he was not a reliable person and he was a liar. And, and you know, like at some point I, have, I had to learn like how to cut contact with some people because it's yeah. one thing to, to go out and meet people and expand your network. But there are some people that they are actually, I think they are like kind of black hole. And if you stay too much with them, like they would kill your confidence or they will like be bad with you. It's hard to describe, but um, I think at some point you have to know your limit and try to just reach out to the right people. Well, some people suck your energy. energy. Yeah, they do. I really do believe that. Like, what's the quote? Uh, also, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. You know, uh, you've heard of mm-hmm. it before. So there's there's an aspect of just like if you're around people that are constantly being sketchy, lying, things like that, like it's gonna affect you as a person, your energy, your emotions, whatever you know, and and your ability to focus on being productive. You know, so yeah, I completely understand. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Main Cheddar Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinancial.com. If you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched, that's sourcefinancial.com slash made in China. And be sure to also check out our YouTube channel, Source Financial. All one word. Cheers. God did. You either win with us or you watch us win. DJ Khaled. They want to stop. Oh, But look at us now They counted us out Time to say a prayer They didn't think that we were making up They didn't think that we were making up